just trying to change the world here, people. Oh, really? The Facebooking and the tweeting and the Instagramming, all that would not exist without our understanding of science. So it's amazing that you took that as an insult. Being true for you is different from true for anybody else. Have yeah, to absolutely, to you. because I can't think either got to be true or not. I can't, no, no. Good evening, citizens of Netlandia. Welcome back to O'Reilly Radio. This is show 156, recorded Friday, June 9th, 2017, where we dismantle the current events for your edutainment through mostly rational conversations that make you go, oh, really? I'm your host, Andy Cowan, and I have a returning guest, Tucker Drake, from the Atheist in the Trailer Park podcast, as well as Bootstrapping the Planet Whenever You Have the Time, which whoever does. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, occasionally we might see a little bit of uh, Professor Fuzznuts uh, as he w- walks around, as uh, we all have podcasts that we must deal with. So, welcome, Tucker. Thank you for joining joining me today. As the rest of my crew has uh, has gone on sabbatical, as I did last week, and I'm very sorry, folks. I'm sorry that I missed last week, but you know, sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder, or at least that's what I'm going to tell myself to make it up to me. Um, we are probably going to make some mistakes. So if you do find any of those, go ahead and shoot me a note. Oh, really radio podcast at gmail.com or phone it in. I've got that voice line number out there just waiting for you. 470-222-6759. And if you have a phobia of actually talking on the phone, I'll take text messages there too. Okay. And also, uh, just before we get started, thank you to my Patreon supporters. I think I have four of them. And that would be Donald Davis, Melissa G., Henry, and Daniel Andrew Duncan. Thank you very much for supporting all of these endeavors. And also, uh, I highly recommend going and finding uh, Tucker Drake out there on Patreon, too, and uh, giving him some love. He could use it, too. Couldn't we all? Yes. <laughs> okay, so it's been... Um, I'm titling this episode, A Week That Will Live in Infamy. Uh. <laughs> um. For those of you that uh, that have lived through a bit of history and understand that knowing history might help you to not repeat it yourself, but be doomed to watch other people repeat it, then you'll know that this has uh, frightening implications towards the whole Watergate scandal. Oh, <laughs> that's that's putting it mildly. Well, you know, I like to start off mild. <laughs> Like to start off mild. Uh, wow, what to say? So, James Comey, former FBI director and only former because Trump fired him for investigating him, uh, was invited to speak in front of the uh, of the House as well as the Senate. Uh, I believe there, the Senate was going to be closed doors. No, the Senate was open. The House. I don't believe he's testified in front of because while he was talking to the Senate and John McCain did his rambling old man routine, the House was voting to repeal Dodd-Frank. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. That's what they were up to. That's yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah, uh, So that's horrible for those of oh. you that have been paying attention to Dodd-Frank <laughs> as well. Uh, okay. First off, let's go through time. Because only through the lens of time can we understand what the hell is going on. And as, as we get a little further away from the live tweeting of the events, 
and the random midnight or early morning tweets of the president saying, by the way, I'm going to appoint this guy. He's totally great. No one else knows him, but he's awesome. And yeah, he has no Russian ties at all. Oh, wait, he uh, does. Um, beyond that, we have to kind of kind of just look back. So I've pulled from a wonderful website, and I highly recommend that everyone go out there. It's whatthefuckjusthappentoday.com. Uh, and for those uh, those of you that need a little bit more editorial, I have, I have another associate uh, over at epicprogress.com for the Trump Damage Report. Um, it's, it's excellent, if a bit snarky and highly liberal. So if you, if you want your, uh, your news, your take on it, to be a little bit more even-keeled, centrist, if you will, uh, then I would recommend whatthefuckjusthappentoday.com. So I've, I've looked through some things, and on day 133 of the Trump presidency, which was Thursday, just the first of this month, that was the day that Trump pulled us out from the Paris Climate Accord. Now, I was getting several questions from uh, a lot of my more um, hippy-dippy, tree-huggery friends who were then in conversations with very right-wing Trump supporters who were just echoing things that they heard in their echo chamber. And they asked me because they come to, they come to me when woo does not satisfy them anymore and they actually need a fact. <laughs> Which is good. It's a good place to be. So they come to me and say, "Okay, so how much does it? How much was the United States in for? You know, monetarily speaking, for the for the climate accord." And I said, "Nothing. <laughs> we weren't in it for anything." And that and that's the deal. The Paris Climate Accord, that whole agreement. And correct me if I'm wrong, Tucker, but it is a completely voluntary agreement where every nation that signs on is responsible for their own plan and funding their own plan on how to reach a 2% greenhouse emission goal. It's um, slightly more complicated than that because Obama being... Clever, when he negotiated the deal, as he was part of it, mm -hmm. he set it up so that the U.S. could be involved in it without it falling under a formal treaty obligation because he knew it never passed the Senate. So it's the, the objective was to get all the nations to drop their carbon emissions to below, I think – like 2,000 levels. Yeah, early 2,000 Some, Somewhere in the 90s, I believe, actually was the figure. Um, and it was all voluntary. There's no penalties if you miss your target. There's no penalties. Yeah, just shame. <laughs> just shame. Yeah. <laughs> it, and there's no penalties if you withdraw, and there's no official commitment required. So Trump, you know... In the treaty, it's or in the agreement, because again, it's not a treaty. It says, "Oh well, to withdraw from this, you have to, you know, you have to announce it like two or three years in advance. However, it works out, it's going to, you know, officially we would be able to withdraw 
right around the time of the 2020 election. But there's no penalties for withdrawing early. There's mm-hmm. no penalties for, you know, but being, anything. But being in it, we weren't paying any money to Paris. We weren't paying no, any money to no. any other country at all. No, so it was the just overall saying we, was, would, we would try and pass regulations to get our emissions levels down. Right. And <laughs> almost all the countries in the world did signed on yeah. to it. It was uh, Syria and Nicaragua are the only two other countries, the only two countries who didn't sign it. Nicaragua didn't Mm -hmm. sign it because they're like, it doesn't go far enough. And Syria didn't sign it because, well, they're too busy committing genocide against their own population. Yeah, there's no standing government to actually bother (laughs) with with such things. So essentially, the United States is the only one that didn't do it uh, in reality. And right. Uh, of note, on day 139, which was Wednesday this week, North Korea condemned Trump's decision to pull out of the Paris Accord. North Korea, North effing Korea, calling it the height of egotism and a short-sighted and silly decision. Despite its international isolation, even North Korea signed the Paris Agreement. Right, right. And um, (laughs) have you seen the uh, photo of the... um uh, of the tournament winners at one of the Donald uh, at one of the Trump golf courses no. for the Donald Trump Senior Open. No, I, I don't. I must say that I do not follow golf. Well, n- neither do I. Um, but anyways, there's this plaque that shows the winners of the Donald J. Trump Senior Open at one of the Donald, you know, one of the Trump golf courses, mm-hmm. and all the winners are guy by the name of Donald Trump. Um, what, what, which, what, really? Yeah. And it's, this sounds suspiciously similar to um, Kim Jong-il, who, mm. you know, is the father of the current crazy nut job running the country. Yeah. Supposedly, you know, the first time and only time he played golf, he got 18 holes in one. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so it, it, for the head of North Korea to call what Trump has done, the height of egotistical or egotism is um, saying a hell of a lot. Yeah. See, context. It's all about context. (laughs) Um, Actually, that that leads me to, uh, you know, I I may actually spin off another podcast uh, because, you know, that they're like kittens, you know, and you end up collecting them (laughs) over time. Yeah. Um, And I was thinking about calling it uh, the nuance show. Because we don't really do nuance. So if, like, okay, let's look for nuance. Specifically, that's the show. <laughs> let's dig down, figure out all the little intricacies of it. Because nobody else is doing it, so why not? Yeah. It's a niche. Maybe it'll work. <laughs> okay, so Trump pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Uh, we, we really... I, I don't know what... It's a, it was a very sad day. In fact, of all the things that have happened, that was probably the most sad beyond, of course, the things that happened in, uh, in Great Britain with the, uh, the terrorism. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but you know, at, at least a number of governors and mm-hmm. heads of 
very, very large corporations have all said, yeah. fuck you, we're doing this shit anyways because it makes sense. Yeah, in fact, uh, Hawaii uh, actually passed legislation to continue enacting the Paris, Paris Accords. Yeah. Um, so indiv- couple- it's up to individual states. States' rights, after all. Who knew? <laughs> A, a, a couple of years ago, Hawaii passed a law that says all water heaters must be solar powered. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, huh. I think it was like 2014 or so, but they, they they passed a law that says all water heaters have to be solar powered, which is really easy to do, especially in yeah. a state like Hawaii where it's nice and sunny all. Yeah, and that's that would definitely reduce their overall power footprint because water heaters just sit there and they just heat water all the time. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's a good idea. I did not know that. Okay, so <clears throat> moving right along so that we don't get stale on these things. Um, the White House ordered federal agencies to ignore Democrats' oversight requests, fearing the information could be weaponized against Trump. The goal was to choke off Democratic congressional minorities from asking questions of the administration intended to embarrass or attack the president. That was on last Friday. So that's one of those nice little uh, garbage day kind of things that comes out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because as, as we might have noticed, all the really bad stuff seems to come out on Fridays. So that yeah. way it could be just glossed over by the weekend, and we, we forget about it by Monday. You forget about it. It's nothing. Yeah. Uh, so moving along from there, I'm just going to skip the weekend. Uh, Trump's national security team was blindsided by his NATO speech, uh, <laughs> National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster, which still is the best name for a general ever. <laughs> I mean, it, I expect that kind of character name to be on G.I. Joe. I mean, really? Yeah, that's 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 a good name. Um, and then uh, and then James Mad Dog Mattis. I mean, come on. I mean, he he did well with if just picking names. He did okay. I got to go with him on that. So, Defense yeah. Secretary James Mattis and Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, which I still think is like that's a porn star name, right? Um, <laughs> they had all urged <laughs> they had all urged Trump explicitly to reaffirm America's uh, commitment to NATO Mutual Defense Clause, known as Article Five. Uh, in his speech. Instead, Trump, along with Steve Bannon and policy aide Stephen Miller, made a last-minute decision to remove the commitment reference without consulting or informing Master Mattis or Tillerson. What good is having aides if you don't use them? Uh, we're, I'll just... Uh, there's there's a joke buried in there, and I'm going to ignore it. <laughs> but I brought you on for the jokes. Set it up, you knock it down. <laughs> yes, well, uh, you know Trump's mentor died of AIDS. <sighs> well, he used him then. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, Trump's mentor was um, Roy Cohn, who was described by any number of people as the most vile human being ever lived. And uh, Roy Cohn, uh, you know... That's something to have on a tombstone. (laughs) Well, I believe at least one of the people who said that was a Holocaust survivor. 
Ah, okay. I'm, I'm, <laughs> so, I'm seeing the bend on that one. Okay. So if you're saying that he's the most vile human being and you've survived the Holocaust. Oh, uh, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that it, does kind of take it up a notch, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it does. Um, but, but yeah, Cohn was a uh, – he worked for Joseph McCarthy during the Red Scare – He's directly responsible for the Rosenbergs getting executed, even though Ethel probably didn't know what the fuck was going on until very late in the game. And so she, at most, would have gotten life in prison, but Roy Cohn decided to violate the law and see to it that she got the chair. (laughs) Well, that's kind. That's kind. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and he had no trouble outing and having his fellow gays persecuted because, well, that kept him on top. And uh, I'd like to thank all the little people that I had to step on to get here today. You know. Oh, he didn't just step on them. He had mm-hmm. them, you know, I, I, not directly, but certainly indirectly, he had people killed. Okay, well, that's definitely an education that you don't necessarily get at military school. Yeah, <clears throat> not necessarily. I mean, you still might. You know, it depends on yeah. the circles that you that you you fly in there. So yeah, well, well, you know, Trump's military school consisted of him, you know, avoiding getting drafted and, uh, you know, avoiding venereal disease. So, well, that's an important skill. <laughs> you know, the AIDS, right? Okay, so yeah. moving on. <laughs> so on Monday, uh, while world leaders called for unity after the London attack. Trump tweeted the complete opposite before London police had linked the attack to terrorism or released any information on the identities, ethnicities, or nationalities of the suspects. Trump retweeted an unsourced blurb from the Drudge Report. Quote, Fears of the new terror attack after Van mows down 20 people on London Bridge and then started promoting his travel ban again. Yeah, and um, in no uncertain words, he was he was not mincing words. He called it a travel ban. Oh yeah, yeah, and and he also you know misquoted the mayor of London, the mayor of London, who was right. saying you know like we have got shit to worry about. We're not going to play games here. And Trump got all butthurt about that. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's things like this that people don't realize are going to boost. Self-driving vehicles, because if everybody's in a self-driving car Mm -hmm. where they're blocked from taking control of it, they can't mow down dozens of pedestrians like this asshole did. Well, then then you have the cruel calculus of the, the programmer's algorithm, and that's the, do you tell the car to kill the driver to save other people? It's basically... You're programming in the trolley problem. Right, but the the odds of that actually ever happening in a situation are pretty slim. Well, they are. They are indeed. However, if you happen to be driving through New York with an awful lot of pedestrians, or you happen to be driving through London, though I'm not sure how you'd possibly go fast enough to hurt anyone in London. Uh, <laughs> right, but but all we need yeah. is a few dozen you know vehicular you know, mass vehicular homicides. Right. And 
I mean, if I were the head of an automotive company right now, I would be, you know, my lobbyists would be going to every politician saying, see, this is why we need to have self-driving cars, because they can't do things like mow people down. Right. Right. And that makes it makes it makes too much sense. That's why it's not going to (laughs) happen. No, actually, uh, that is exactly what's going on. Uh, Tesla was leading the way. Uh, Ford, Chevy, Daimler Chrysler. uh, It's not Daimler Chrysler anymore. It's Fiat Chrysler. Oh, Fiat. Oh, okay. So I guess they buried the Daimler. Oh, well. Well, it's it's still the same company. Because Daimler, when the economy cratered, Daimler, you know, after having drained Chrysler of all the 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 cash reserves Chrysler had decided to dump them on um, a hedge fund, which was owned. I can't remember which hedge fund it was. It wasn't the one that Mitt Romney was involved with, but he knew the people who were in charge of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cebras, that's it. Cebras oh, Capital. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know. That. Yeah, you know the multi-headed dog. Mm-hmm. And Cerberus. So, yeah. And then when they wanted the bailout, the Fed said, okay, you can have the bailout, but you've got to merge with somebody. And they picked Fix It Again Tony, who um, – <laughs> Ergo Fiat. <laughs> right, right. Who, who somehow, despite having – despite owning Ferrari, can't seem to be hugely flush with cash. Well, and have you ever big- met somebody that owns a Ferrari? You you have to be flush with cash because you also have to have a second driver, you know, second car because yeah. you need one to drive, one to keep in the shop. Exactly because the, that's where the that's where the Ferrari is going to be. I mean, I have never understood why anyone bought any Italian oh, piece of equipment. Oh, okay, because they're beautiful. They're beautiful, but their reliability is just shit. A, fr- a friend of mine, uh, big car guy, uh, he said. I have a new definition of optimist. I said, okay, what's that? It says, someone that thinks they can just about afford a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, um, uh, okay, you, I'm sure you remember Borders, Walden Books. I do, yes. Yeah, okay. I am of that um, vintage, yes. Okay, I, I worked for Walden Books back, I, I started there in 1990. Mm-hmm. And then years later, Kmart, who was who owned Border or owned Walden Books, bought Borders, and then forced the two of them. To really, merge. Kmart bought Walden? I didn't know that yeah. they were part of this. Okay, yeah, interesting. So those are the dominoes anyways, that fall. So, anyways, in '91 or so, the the distribution center I worked at decided, oh, well. We're going to put in this automation system built by the Italians. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. it, it took them a year to get the thing up and running past the scheduled date. And then they get it up and running, and I'm looking at it, and I go up to management. And I say, um, I have a list of like, you know, 20 issues you guys need to address. And they're like, no, 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 no. The, the, these are not going to be problems. They all turned out to be problems. Of course, it, they it, do. it took them a while, but the um, yeah, the thing was nowhere near as reliable as it should have been. Couldn't do the kinds of things they said it could do, and um, I often have to wonder what happened to all that equipment after Borders went under. Uh, it probably all went uh, went into making Fiat's. 
<laughs> but that was that was one of the things that somebody said. You know, that yeah. machine models would just have Fiat printed on the side. Uh. <laughs> I mean, we had we had such a nightmare. We because the, the like the software programmers were from Italy, mm-hmm. and they spent six months in the U.S. getting the thing up and running. <laughs> you know, and then. They would, you know, fly home on the weekends and stuff like that. After the six months and then as we, you know, it went past that point, they got to spend more and more time at home. And then that's when we really started having problems with the machines. And they said one time they landed in Rome and there was a guy there with return tickets to the U.S. Wow. Because it went wrong and nobody could fix it. Went wrong on the flight back. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, that's always that's always lovely. Uh, job security. Job security mm-hmm. for those programmers there. Um, man, they must have had a hell of a sales team. Oh, hell God. of a sales team. Promise the moon. Promise the moon. Oh, okay. So, <clears throat> uh, so that was all just a just a riff on on automatic, you know, driving. Right and uh, and the unfortunate attack in London. Yeah, so I I'm with you though. It's it's one of those. It's not an if. It's when. It, yeah, it's coming. You know, I'm I have a couple older vehicles, and I'm like, oh man, I I could upgrade. I, I could go buy a new one, turn this in, you know, do that. But I kind of want to wait for more new toys to just become standard. Yeah, <laughs> just just kind of wait a couple years, you know. I just nurse them along; it'll be fine, I'm sure. So I have my podcat here. This is Sprocket, mm-hmm. big old black kitty. I miss having a black kitty. Yeah, he was uh, he was part of a feral colony, so he's got the little dox deer. Oh, so yeah, managed feral colony, um, and he's uh, he actually doesn't really want want so much snuggles as he wants me to fill his bowl. I'm not going to until after the podcast, buddy. So you got to get down. Yeah. So everybody can see you on the camera. There you go. And you can see the podcasts and, of course, our faces uh, out on the YouTube channel. So, <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so on uh, Tuesday, following that uh, that aftermath, now, I'm all, obviously, uh, there's a lot that happened on every single one of these days. I'm just hitting what I think has the the best signal to noise ratio the things that are actually going to make more sense about a week later at least so on tuesday sean spicer you know the mouthpiece of of the white house spicy yeah a little spicy um said that trump's tweets are official statements but did not indicate whether that included both of his twitter handles at real donald trump and at potus Regardless, the ACLU said that they will use Trump's tweets to build their argument in Supreme Court case cases uh, on the travel ban, amongst yeah. other things. Yeah. Um, because if you uh, if you listen to another uh, another of I believe our mutual favorite uh, podcast opening arguments, you'll hear uh, an awful lot of uh, legal talk about how it's public record. You know how anything that the president says. Yeah, in a public forum is a statement that is an official statement from the White House. It's yeah. a matter of record. 
So the fact that he's gone through and deleted any of his tweets is illegal. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he won't be punished for it because we've got a he's Republican Congress. Teflon. He's <laughs> absolute Teflon. Well, he's not Teflon. He, it's just that they've got a, we've got a Republican Congress who's more interested in focusing on uh, you he, know, doing yeah. whatever they want rather than yeah. he signs their bills therefore yeah you know just stay there and try not to make a mess uh, no no he, he, he can't beat, he can't do he, that part he beat hillary who is the only person they hate more than the obamas so yeah yeah it's like eh, okay good good job dnc on on really figuring out the the, the pulse of the nation yeah yeah a woman after a black president was not going to fly well, not 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 a woman named Clinton. Well, definitely not a woman named Clinton. Yeah, yeah. Definitely not. You know, I I saw a resurgence of the Hillary Clinton nutcrackers uh in the vanity stores. <laughs> Which uh, they, they are amusing. They are amusing, but uh, you know, yeah. 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 Nah. Okay. So definitely that that has that has long-term effects because it really it is a statement from the White House saying that his tweets are official record. Right. So the fact that he said that in public as a representative of the White House immediately will allow it in court. Yeah. It's public yeah. record. You know, you yep. just go ahead and shoot your foot off. That's fine. No problem. You know, no problem with us. So that's that's going to be a sticky one. Uh, the following day, Trump's pick for FBI director blindsided the White House staff and Congress, leaving much of his senior staff out of the loop before noticing a trend here. Before announcing that he'd picked Christopher Ray on Twitter, that's W R A Y. If anyone's looking and following it along at home, at least six White House and senior officials said that they weren't aware of Trump's decision before his early morning tweet. Ray acted as Chris Christie's personal attorney during the Bridgegate scandal. Trump called him a man of impeccable credentials. Yeah, um, there is something odd about Christopher Ray, and I cannot remember what it is. Uh, there's, I think he worked for Trump's law firm, and I believe he was involved when he was with. He worked with the Bush administration and supporting some of the uh, torture memos. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, yeah. there's a lot of who is Christopher Ray, uh, if you search on, on the Googles, uh, because no one knows who the hell he is. Yeah. So, and, and really, why should we? I mean, he, he should live in obscurity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, mute tab. There we go. I don't need to hear from you, CNN. Thank you. Even though I paused that whole thing and yet you continue uh, to play it. I, um, if there is a God... Only the people who created autoplay videos will be in hell. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm kind of okay with the autoplay and being muted. You know, uh, yeah, leave the but, sound off. At least leave the sound off. Yeah, but, but, but I, have, I have issues because it's like uh, I'm sitting there in the john on my phone at work, and I'm trying to scroll through stuff, and the autoplay video kicks in. And even if there's no sound, it still causes my phone to shit itself. 
Oh, you can you can disable you know if, if you're talking about the Facebook autoplay stuff. No, no, I'm um, talking about just like on new uh, you on, know on regular websites. Yeah, well, you know they're they're also still using Flash, and yeah. and bad old you know uh, Acrobat components and uh, and Java and everything else. It's it's not a good scene. So a lot of things are just broken. Yep. <sighs> They're getting better, slowly, slowly and steadily. You know, HTML5 compliance across the board. Everything just works. That's that's what we want. But uh, when they're trying to drive just eyeballs to everything, it, yeah, they're, they're trying every trick in the book and even inventing some new ones and throwing the book out. So, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. And while Ray has never was never one of the more public-facing Trump supporters. He had given... Ah, he bought the position with $50,000 to Republican candidates, committees, and his law firm's PAC since 2007, including including John McCain, Mitt Romney, and the National Republican Senatorial Committee in 2016. Uh, So, yeah, he's he's got a long history of just pouring money into into the Republican Party. Yeah, Yeah, this is a sop. Yeah. Because nobody Trump wanted would actually take the job. Yeah, a lot of lot of top law firms and everybody were they're they're just turning him down left and right for whatever he asked them for, whether it be an appointment or if you know to defend him or to sue yeah. someone else. They just, they don't want to don't want to touch him. Well, um, what's and his who would name? Blame Joseph them? Lieberman works for Trump's law firm and refused to be. You know, refused the nomination to be the head right. of the FBI. Yeah, that should tell you something right there. Would it be a conflict of interest? <laughs> <laughs> Not so much the conflict of interest, but uh, just the fact that somebody who's made a lot of money off of Trump doesn't want to take a job where he has a cushy position. Yeah, apparently he faced a uh, sharp questioning at a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, but maintained at the time that. Ashcroft had been given all the details needed for him to understand meaningfully what was going on in the investigation. So he's uh, he's been quite involved, so he hasn't been as shadowy a figure, but one thing that the Trump presidency has really done is gotten people really involved and interested in the minutiae of day-to-day life in in Washington. And how all of this works. Because he doesn't know how it all works. Nor is, does he really seem to be interested in figuring out how it all works. He just wants to run it like a business. And then declare bankruptcy on it, I imagine. Uh, um, he actually doesn't care. He, as yeah. the former boss of mine who worked with Trump, said, Trump wants people to think that he's a great man doesn't care what it takes to get people to think that but he just mm-hmm. you know and he doesn't actually necessarily want to do the things that would give you know that would prove he was a great man he just wants people to think that yeah he doesn't want to be the great man he just wants the perception of being that great man yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, he doesn't want to go uh, through the work very, and the hardship of it yeah, very superficial. I had a boss who was an awful lot like that, and he spent a number of years in prison. Well, uh, I guess he just didn't have enough money. Mm. 
Because if you have enough money, you don't go to jail. At least that's yeah. what it seems, or at least that's what politics has taught me. Okay, so as uh, as we roll on to day 140, this is when we get into some of the latest and greatest. Comey! Lordy, I hope there are tapes. Comey blasted the White House for lies, plain and simple. Uh, the fired FBI director accused Trump and his aides during his testimony before the Senate Intelligence Committee today which was Thursday, of defaming him after he was fired. Comey believed that Trump had clearly tried to derail the FBI investigation into Michael Flynn. And, of course, this dominated the news cycle and is still dominating the news cycle because of its aftermath. This this has got probably another week before people really get tired of it. We and that's help. what happens. People get tired of it, and it's like, okay, that's old news now. So, what has Trump done to us lately? Yeah, well, the yeah. thing I've I've noticed is that, you know, when the uh, there were the rumors about Comey's memos, it was all, oh, well, nobody has actually seen these. They're all rumors. And then Comey testifies, and everybody's like, oh, well, you know. All mm-hmm. it did was just confirm the rumors doesn't really mean anything. Right, except that it means an awful an lot. Awful lot. <laughs> uh, I mean, if if any, you know, if Obama or the Clintons oh. Oh, yeah. had had done any of the shit that Trump has done, the Republicans would be on the warpath. I I honestly think because there's there it's the amosexual party. You know that they, they they really love the Second Amendment more than all the other amendments combined. Um, so, I really imagine that had the tables been turned, and Hillary did make it in, the slightest little tiny scandal, she would have been executed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not legally; it would have been an assassination, but she would have been executed. Because it would have just been an excuse to make it happen. Yeah. And um, then they would have martyred the person that did it. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's kind of how it is. <sighs> that's just a, just a thought. You know, I have no, uh, no knowledge of any uh, conspiracies of the like. But, um, you know, that there was that bird sanctuary group that could do anything they wanted. <laughs> you know. Uh, so... Yeah, we, we have some history here that tells us kind of the pulse of the nation and and what a certain group of people, self-proclaimed, are going to do in certain situations. And we've seen the reaction to those people by the, uh, by the powers that be. They can do no wrong. They can go in there, right. do, do whatever they, they want. But if it was the other guy, total double standard. Or if it was somebody with slightly brown skin. Ah, uh, yep. Yep. Yeah, that, uh, uh, the family guy thing, you know, with Peter and the, and the little flip book at the, at the checkpoint. Ah, uh, you're the right shade. Yeah, yeah. You're the right shade. Not terrorist, terrorist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's bad. It's bad. It's too, too close to reality. That's the problem. Yeah. So, so while, uh, while the pomp and circumstance were happening on, on Capitol Hill and everyone was playing hooky in the bars, watching it and live-tweeting it, uh, I mean, it was, it was quite the event, actually, in D.C. 
Oh, uh, oh, oh, can I go on a bit of a rant about Silicon Valley? Not the TV series, but the, you know, the, the city uh, on this subject. In one moment. Because first, while that was happening, that's when the House of Representatives passed the bill that would gut the major elements of Dodd-Frank, the regulatory legislation drafted in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis, which basically brought the country to its knees financially, and destroyed most of the housing market and caused an awful lot of people to lose all of their money and livelihoods and jobs and families in some cases. Big, bad, bad, nasty voodoo. The Financial Choice Act, oh, isn't that a lovely name, exempts financial institutions deemed too big to fail from restrictions that limit risk-taking. Republicans say Dodd-Frank regulations are the primary reason for anemic economic growth in the U.S. While the bill passed the House, it faces long odds of becoming law, as it would require the support of Democrats in the Senate in order to reach Trump's desk. We'll see about that, because... They're getting they're getting tricky with their ability and willingness to use the nuclear option to avoid the filibuster. Well, and end. well, they didn't end the filibuster com- entirely. What they did was they they in- enacted a very narrow set of rules that would allow it to reach a vote and not require the sixty supermajority. Right. So, and since they have more than 50, but less than 60, they can pass nearly anything they want as long as they put it through in the right way. Yeah. So if they exclude it from this rule, or if they bring it in in this way and exclude it from this, which is exactly what they're doing with the AHCA right now. Yeah. And they're planning on having that through by July 4th. Independence Day! Yay! No health care for anyone. Yep. Now, but but what what irritated me mm-hmm. the most is okay when Comey's testifying. Uh, you know, I'm on my lunch break at work. Yeah. For part of it, so I whip out my phone and I'm pulling up Twitter to you know. Find out what the hell's going on because in checking my Facebook, nobody's really posted anything recent. So I figure, eh, Twitter will have more recent news, right? Yeah. Usually the fire yeah, hose. Right. Yeah. right. So I, I get like, you know, a couple of tweets saying on it. And then Twitter's like, oh, in case you missed it, here's all these tweets from yesterday. And there's no easy way to say, fuck you, I don't want to see this. History is being made. I need to see what people are saying right now. Yeah, it's like, I need live now, damn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Don't tell me what I missed. I want live now. That's why I use your service. If I want to figure out what happened yesterday, I go back to the damn timeline thing on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's really one of the things I hate about Facebook is because they tend to default to Top posts. Top rather. stories. Yeah, it's like, I I just want to see what just happened. I don't want to refresh to see what's new and see something from three days ago. Yeah. Um, it's like I had a friend. I had two friends from high school. One was in the hospital because of a car accident. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find out about it because Facebook kept showing me top posts. 
So yeah. it was her post saying, hey, I'm out of the hospital now that told me that she had actually been in the hospital. And the other friend of mine, her son died in a freak accident, and I couldn't find her posts on the subject. All I could find were all these people that I knew who were saying, oh, I feel so sorry for this person. But, you know, of course, they didn't say, well, I feel sorry for this person because they lost their son. They just kept, you know, they were so upset because it was literally happening at that moment. But their posts, for whatever reason, were priorities. Yeah. And to Facebook's algorithm. Now, there is a browser plugin called Social Fix- Fixer, which supposedly. Oh, is there? Yeah, um, I'm using it, and it. the one thing it does is it forces Facebook to show most recent posts rather than, you know, top stories. So in okay. theory, it'll let me see shit that's important to me, but we'll have to see. I haven't used it long enough to know for certain. All right, I see that socialfixer.com for the, uh, for the source of it. And it is apparently in the Chrome store and also in Firefox add-ons. So yeah, yeah, that's, Basic, that's a fun one. Yeah, it's in Firefox, and since Opera uses the same core yeah, technology, Chromium, Chrome. yeah, Chromium engine, yeah, yeah, yeah it, you can get it there. So filter your newsfeed, hide sponsored stories, remove politics. I don't know if people should actually be able to remove politics, but I can understand needing to take a take a breather but, but it, it allows you to set your filter so you can get rid of sports ball stuff yeah there you go or whatever it happens to be right yeah okay well i thank you i might have to try that oh and uh and also a um a pro tip out there on your android phone because it, it pretty much has to be Android these days, because otherwise yeah. you're in that walled garden of iOS, uh, which is fine for you. But I'm not talking to you. I'm talking. I'm talking to the Android folks. If you download Firefox, the Firefox uh, browser, you can have your add-ons from your desktop on your Firefox browser for mobile. Yeah, and and, that, it, and it will work in the good. iOS version if you've got um, the 64-bit. V- iPhones and iPod touches. So the the more more recent ones. Right, right. Yeah. right. Oh good. Excellent. Yeah, it it's a lifesaver. I use a uh, uBlock Origin and I've got uh, the LastPass plugins and things like that. So it yeah. it's an absolute lifesaver and it's really just better on memory than Chrome. It yeah. just, it just is. So uh, brave times. Brave brave new world that we are are in technology-wise. Um not not really to go down the Aldous Huxley route, but yeah. Uh, so you were going to say uh, before I, I interrupted your tangent on interrupting my tangent, uh, we were you were going to talk about something with Silicon Valley. Yeah, well that that was my beef was that you know Twitter was showing me okay that was the, the okay in, in, the in case you missed it stuff and didn't give me an easy way to say no no <laughs> I want to see the live stuff because. Yeah. That's what's interesting at this moment in time as fucking history's happening. And you would think that the folks in Silicon Valley who don't like Trump, and there's an awful lot of them there who don't, would have uh, realized this and disabled that feature. But no, no, uh, no. no. Appar- apparently you, 
you had to like select one person to get what whatever they were doing live, and yeah. there there was uh, there was plenty. There's no dirt yeah. to that. Oh, oh, yeah, no no shortage. Once yeah. you got the, once I got through the in case you missed it stuff, there was no shortage of people saying, uh, "Oh my God, can you believe this? Oh my God, can you believe that?" Yeah, I know that uh, the folks over at uh, what ju- what the fuck just happened today had a list. It was New York Times was live blogging, uh, Washington Post, CNN, NBC News, Politico, Fox News, The Atlantic, The Guardian, uh, The New Yorker, Wall Street Journal, NPR. I know that also Breitbart was, of course. Uh, and it, it's interesting if you go through and watch the the live tweets from these certain leaning agencies. Boy, they had a different take on the things that were being spoken of. Yeah, real different take. Um, yeah, so it that was really that that's kind of like the political Super Bowl, you know, or playoff that happened, you know, for for those of you that do follow the sports ball, you know, this is this is kind of what that was about. It was a big deal, um, and a lot of people took the day off and just played hooky at the bars watching. Yeah, yeah. I can't think and of a better way to watch it though. Really? No, no, and it's just a shame Trump didn't tweet because there was a bar in D.C. that said every time Trump tweets about Comey, we're going to give you free booze. And I guess they hit his phone because he didn't tweet. Well, I, I think he specifically refrained from doing it, but he was uh, like whispering into his son's ear, and he was tweeting a lot. Well, yeah, but Trump Jr. was doing it. Yeah, but but um, Trump had said, "Oh, I will be tweeting during the hearings," and then didn't. Maybe his Galaxy S three died. His <laughs> <laughs> uh, completely you know, unsecure phone that he's not supposed to be using. Right, and you know that when he was in Europe visiting the NATO leaders and things like that, he was giving them his personal phone number. Of course. Because he's making business deals. He's not dealing for the United States. He's lining his own pockets. Always. Uh, yeah. Always. Him first, his family second, country somewhere around 10. No, that's too high. <laughs> <laughs> I was being optimistic. <laughs> and uh, speaking of optimism, carrying on through today, uh, Paul Ryan insisted that the Republicans wouldn't call for impeachment of a Democratic president accused of the same actions as Trump. You know, I might have been born in the morning, but it wasn't this morning. Exactly. Uh, Ryan also suggested that Trump's behavior might be the result of not having experience in government before becoming the president. (laughs) That means that he's not qualified to do the job, folks. (laughs) He's just not. Why did you vote for him? Why? Why did you vote for him? Oh... That's fine. That's fine. We'll figure it out in another eight years, right? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I love your optimism <laughs> that we'll be having elections in eight years. <laughs> I have to have something. Please don't take. Please don't take that away from me. <laughs> it's all we can do. It's all we can do. So uh, I'm uh, thinking smoking crater for a lucky. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, meteor for 2020. <laughs> the only rational choice. Oh, shit. 
Oh, and that uh, that really rounds out uh, the politics. I'm sure that there's more that has happened today, but less that was uh, super duper important. Oh, actually, no, there was one thing that uh, that popped up, and that was that uh, Betsy DeVos. Oh God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she today said that uh, the problem with education is not that it needs more money. Oh. So she she. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but. Uh, yeah, she she is under the uh, under the impression that no education doesn't need more money. Uh, man, as somebody who grew up in a poor school district, playing the part of my crushed soul is Tucker Drake <laughs> today. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I I mean, I went to school on school buses. Where there were seats you couldn't sit in because the floorboards were gone. I mean, there was literally that's not they, good. <laughs> they had literally that's rotted a- through, and you could see Ooh. the tire or the road underneath the bus, depending on where it was, and you did not want to sit there. Uh, so, Especially on the rainy days. Yeah, that was never a good idea. Oh, I, I remember a few holes in in the buses that I rode on too, but they weren't super severe. Like uh, this what you're is Ohio, saying. so it wasn't merely the rainy days; it was the snow uh, days. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, I I grew up in Florida, so we don't have the road salt, so no. our vehicles don't just rot out from underneath us quite as badly. We do get sea salt, uh, yeah. pretty bad, but still it. It doesn't rot them quite as readily as things in in the northern regions, right? And it has that hipster appeal. <laughs> <sighs> what like a dune buggy with a rust, rust spots and things like that? Yeah. Uh, well, no, because sea salt—that's the big thing. You know, it tastes oh, better. Right, than, right, yes. Than, uh, My car has than, been rusted by Himalayan pink sea well, salt. This- yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> only the best for my car. Right. <laughs> no, no, that's wrong. Uh, let's see. That, let me see, see what the um, what that announcement was because um, a friend of mine had it posted on their wall, so I just have to go find it. Which, boy, I, I love having to surface all these things. And Facebook apparently saw that I was trying to do a social fixer thing, and now doesn't want to play nice. Yeah, no, of course not. No, no, I didn't. I didn't even implement it, but it's saying no. It's not. Uh, I'm not going to refresh for you. No, screw you. Because you touch yourself at night. It's because it feels good. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, jeez, <laughs> get real. Okay, so. But anyway, it makes that's the baby Jesus cry. <laughs> baby Jesus shouldn't look. <laughs> it's not it's not for his eyes. <laughs> nosy little guy. Nosy nosy nosy. Um okay, well if I can't find it, I can't find it and that's just fine. But yeah, apparently she's uh she's taking her job very seriously in destroying the uh, public education system. I would expect no less. Yeah, well yeah. she's she's really got her hopes up with that. That she's gonna gonna do her very best to give us the very worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, she's absolutely certain that religious schools <laughs> are the best choice. 
Um, until, of course, she realizes that, oh, hey, if you're going to allow Christian religious schools to get money from the government, you also have to allow mm-hmm. Satanists. Mus- Muslims. Muslims and Satanists. And, yeah. Uh, I would say Jehovah's Witnesses, but I don't think they believe in them. You know, schools. Um, yeah. The Amish, the Quakers. Yeah, we could have those schools back. I, yeah, I'll be honest. If you have to have a religious school, the Quakers probably wouldn't be that bad. Probably not. No. But, you know, I do we have any more Quakers? Uh, Talk about yeah. a religion that's really fallen off. Yeah. Um, they, they tend to go uh, refer to themselves as the friends or friend. It's some kind of friends. Oh, term. yes, yes. The um, oh, I think it's just the, the the group of friends or something like that. Yeah, so, uh, something like that. Yeah, they don't overtly call themselves Quakers uh, because uh, there was a lot of bad PR they got since a guy by the name of Richard M. Nixon. I you might have heard I of him. Do remember him? Um, yeah, he was a Quaker. The Society of Friends. Yeah. Also okay. called Friends Church, the by name of. The Quakers, Christian right. group that arose in the mid-17th century England, dedicated to living in accordance with the inward light or direct inward apprehension of God without creeds, clergy, or other ecclesiastical forms. Yes, and they're also pacifists. So yeah. that gives that gives them some cred in my book just because of the fact they're not out there screaming, we need to bomb brown people. <laughs> the Society of Friends, you could do worse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you could do worse. So okay, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I remember the you know the the John F. Kennedy speech, you know, where he's addressing the nation like, yes, I'm Catholic, but I also believe in the separation of church and state. And he was he actually mentioned you know non-believers and Quakers, right? So, right, and and yeah. and then um, last year. I think it was that, um, oh, what's his name? The frothy anal discharge guy. Oh, um, Rick Santorum. Yes. Yeah. Wow. The fact that I knew what you were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Who is Catholic and said that um, Kennedy's religion speech wanted to make him puke. It's like, uh, dude. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's that's an un-American outlook. Yeah, um, yeah. I, because uh, you know you're the same religion as this guy, and this guy actually w- was historic in becoming president. Because up until that point in time, people were scared to death of the idea of a Catholic being president because they didn't want the president taking orders from the Pope. Yeah. Amazing that they didn't. They wanted some separation between church and state. Of course, really, that's thinly veiled. And really, what yeah. what they wanted was they didn't want someone else's religion to have that power. They wanted theirs to have power. So, yeah. But interesting that you know, as a Catholic, but he's also Rick Santorum. So yeah. he's yeah. a special yeah. kind of kind of. Um, Dominionist Catholic or something. I mean, just, yeah, just really, really extreme. Short bus Catholic, I believe, is the term you're looking for. Oh, is that it? That might be it. That could be it. 
Yeah, we're we're going going a little bit uh, uh, anti theism here. <laughs> so, but what more did you expect? So, yeah. All right, because I don't have any of my other panelists to uh, you know bring me uh, to root me in paganism and all sorts of other things. <laughs> Let's talk about those Norse gods, shall we? Good stuff like that. Or uh, I actually, you know what? What's your uh, opinion of American Gods? Have you uh, have you watched the show at all, or uh, did, no, you, did you read no. the book? I I, ha- I can't remember if that was the one that I read by Neil Gaiman, or if there is another one. Um, I have read Neil Gaiman, and I do like his stuff. So yeah, he's um, an excellent writer. But I don't have cable, so I have I haven't watched it. I haven't arsed myself to, you know, illegally bootleg it or oh, buy no. it off via Amazon or whatever. Yes, heaven forbid that we would do such a thing. Yeah, that, um, no. it's uh, it. It's one of those things that seems interesting, but uh, like I said, I just haven't arsed myself to watch it. I mean, I yeah, I haven't even watched. Uh, the Handmaid's Tale on Hulu, which I, having seen the original movie, um, I, it's definitely apropos, but, uh, you know, some things are a little too bleak for me to deal with. Yeah. It's like, it's why I, I only watched a couple episodes of, um, Breaking Bad because at some point, you know, I was watching and it's like, yeah, I could easily see myself slipping into those shoes and, that's not a place I want to be. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is too close to my reality. No, yeah. I, I'm going to have to yeah. step out. Yeah, I, I remember through uh, through high school there was a, a British lit, you know, and, and everything, and some of the some of the books that our teacher wanted us to read, I just didn't like the stories at all. I didn't identify with the characters. I did not enjoy this book. You know, the topic the topics were terrible, and and it's like, why am I? No, I don't want yeah. this. Yeah. Why are you forcing me to read this horrible book? And of course, I'm I'm talking like things like Ethan Frome and you know Scarlet Letter and, and things like that. You know, if you know the topics, yeah, is that really something that is appropriate for high school students? Well, well, let's talk um, about adultery. Let's you know, is that really yeah. is that really what we want to talk about? You know? Yeah, it's like, um, well, uh, have you seen Angels in America? The mini ser- the HBO miniseries. Oh, I think I caught a couple episodes, but it was a while ago, long time ago, uh, actually. Uh, okay, um, if you've heard, I don't know if it came out in the edit of the most recent episode or not of my show, but anyways, um, Angels in America. It came out. The stage play came out in the early nineties. Was a huge mm-hmm. splash because it was. It was visionary for its time in a lot of ways. Uh, and one of the central characters was a guy by the name of Roy Cohn, a.k.a. Donald Trump's mentor. <laughs> We're bringing and, it all around. That's good. 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 Bring it all around. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I happen to think here recently that, well, Angels of America has Roy Cohn in it. He's Trump's mentor, and people who saw the play who knew Roy Cohn said it is very close to him, but entirely too nice to actually be him. So I'm like, I want to watch this, and it's on Amazon, and you can watch it 
easily enough. And so the the thing, it turns out that it's really more about a gay couple in, you know, from in, in 1985 or so. Mm-hmm. And where one of the members has AIDS and it, I'm watching it and it kind of bothered me because, you know, in the early 90s, I was dealing with, I was uh, the primary caregiver for a friend of mine who was HIV positive and who later committed suicide because of it and a mm-hmm. few other health problems, which he couldn't get treated because he had HIV and they were just like, right. we can't operate on you because we're afraid with your immune system being where it is, you won't survive the operation. Right. And I'm watching it and the stuff in like the first couple episodes really just it's like this isn't new this isn't even uh, this is not really good because it's it, it doesn't give the full impact of what people were dealing with like there was a uh, there was a scene where one of the characters He's got, you know, the character who's HIV positive, he's got this massive fever, he's bleeding, and he's crawling on his floor, and his lover says, oh my god, you're in horrible shape, I'm calling an ambulance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know how it was in New York City in 85, but when you were, you know, in this area in the 90s, early 90s, when there was a gay man who was, you know, had had a open cut and was bleeding people freaked the fuck out because they were like oh my god he's got AIDS he's going to spread it to all of us and there was no discussion about that in 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 the show the series and it that kind of bothered me because while they you know they dealt with you know the weird bizarre shit that people were coming you know developing because they had no immune system they weren't showing any of the reactions that the rest of society had yeah. to people who were HIV positive well at the time you know the 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 musical for um, for angels in america i just did you know some quick wikipedia while we're talking yeah. about it uh, it came out in 1993 and was of course about about the 80s but at the time that it came out in 93, that was when the crises were really starting to come out. And are you familiar with the musical Rent? I, yeah, I, I'm, I've heard of it. I know yeah. the details of it. I hate musicals, so yeah, I've well, never seen it. Well, Rent came out in 96, uh, yeah. so right on the heels of it. And again, it's about, you know, same, same themes, really, just with yeah. a different class of people. Yeah. But yeah. the same uh, themes overall, and the way that they're presented suck, in my opinion. I I can't stand the the nature of that. I'm I'm sure that's going to be a controversial opinion, as I've now noted it on the internet, where people live and have opinions on things. Uh, but yeah, I don't like Rent and the the whole thematic. Uh, AIDS crisis and and the woe is me atmosphere around it. I'm not discounting the situation. The reality of the situation right. is not what I'm discounting. The presentation of it as a musical and trying to empower them in those ways, I think, is a horrible disservice to the actual situation and the and the gravity of it. Right, right, and and um, 
to be fair, in Angels in America, there were some later episodes where they they did deal with um, medical issues in a way that my friend had to deal with them where, you know, he's like going to the doctor and he's describing all these conditions that he's had. And the doctor's like, you know, that could be your disease. That could be other things and things like that. Um, and, and it's, it's like, from the third episode on, it, it, it it's really good. You, you unfortunately have to watch the first two episodes to know who the characters are and things like that. But the third episode on, it gets really good, I think. I'm sure that the miniseries drags it out enough to actually give it some justice. Well, you know, I, as, the, the as mini- a stage piece, it would have to be so condensed and in a musical form that it would be uh, difficult for me to swallow. The the uh, the 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 miniseries is only one hour longer than the play. That is a mini-series. No, the miniseries is six or episodes. Very, or a very long play. Yeah, they, they would do the play over two nights. You would have... Um, that's, a, that's not a play anymore. That's an event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the, um, Tony Kushner, who wrote uh, Lincoln, the, mo- the screenplay for the movie Lincoln, yeah. he's the one who did the stage play and the TV version. And uh, the the first part of the play, the first couple of what turned out to be episodes, um, was in 93. And then like a year or two later, they had the second part. And after that, they started doing, you know... One night you would go to the first part of the play, and the second night you would go to the second part. Interesting. Yeah, um, but it's like I said, it's worth watching. Um, you know, it, it has Emma Thompson's naked tits in it, so that's that's. Well, okay then. I, I mean, <laughs> she's a great actress; she really is. But that's she, that's a bonus you're not expecting, and then it, <laughs> there they are. <laughs> Okay. Um, Wow. (laughs) One of my Patreon supporters just pinged me and was uh, chiming in to to our stream. It's like, did I miss this story? And it's like, no, I didn't even pick it up. Uh, Apparently, Bernie Sanders uh, put in a religious test for Christians in public office. I've I've seen the headline, but I haven't actually bothered to read the story because – yeah. as much as I love Bernie, I know this isn't going anywhere, but he's definitely Probably doing won't. it to make a point. Yeah, I haven't really read it that much. So uh, so as uh, as patrons get uh, special privileges, you know, I will go ahead and I'll look at it right this very second. I'll do it live. Gosh darn it. Um, <laughs> Bernie Sanders' religious test for Christians in public office. This is a story out on The Atlantic uh, from the 6th, a couple days ago. Uh, during a contentious confirmation hearing, the Vermont senator questioned the faith of the nominee for deputy director of the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, this was updated also on the 8th. Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution states that no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. Thank you very much, Constitution. On Wednesday, Senator Bernie Sanders flirted with the boundaries of this rule during confirmation hearing for Russell Voigt, President Trump's nominee for Deputy Director of the Office of Management and Budget. Sanders took issue with a piece Voigt wrote in January 2016 about a fight at the nominee's alma mater, Wheaton College. The Christian school had fired a political science professor, 
uh, Larissa, I'm butchering that name, Hawkins, for a Facebook post intended to express solidarity with Muslims. Voigt disagreed with Hawkins' post and defended the school in an article for the conservative website, The Resurgent, which I imagine is just a, a wonderful site filled with lots of nuance. Um, during the hearing, Sanders repeatedly quoted one passage that he found particularly objectionable, quoting, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. So that's, that's the passage that was written by Voigt disagreeing with Hawkins. Okay, so that's, yeah. that's definitely a bit extreme. A very ideological. It's not. It's kind of par for the course for what we see versus you know Christian versus you know Islam. Yeah. So it's not. Okay. Yeah. He said that. Now what? Uh, quote. In my view, the statement made by Mr. Voigt is indefensible. It is hateful. It is Islamophobic, and it is an insult to over a billion Muslims throughout the world. Sanders told the committee during his introductory remarks. This country, since its inception, has struggled, sometimes with great pain, to overcome discrimination in all forms. We must not go backwards. I could probably do a Bernie impression. It's actually, you know, it's quite, you know, it's metered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's metered very well. Um, later during the question and answer portion of the hearing, Sanders brought this up again. Do you believe that statement is Islamophobic? <laughs> yes, Mr. Voigt. Uh, absolutely not, Senator Voigt replied. I'm a Christian, and I believe in a Christian set of principles based on my faith. But, so basically, I guess the, the question being brought by the Jew is... <laughs> is he was most likely a secular Jew, oh, a, yeah. a, a atheist, but he can't admit it because yep. this is America, and we can't have such things here. He's definitely culturally Jewish. We'll definitely go with culturally Jewish. Uh, so where Sanders uh, saw Islamophobia and intolerance, Voigt believed he was stating a basic principle of his belief as an evangelical Christian. I would po perhaps posit that they're both right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would ag agree with you. And, it, you know, that's that's one of the things that most people don't realize is that you know, okay, you're going to elect somebody who is an overt Christian to the office of president, mm -hmm. and you expect him to support Christian values. Well, yeah. the, the you know, sooner or later, either he or the person who replaces him is going to say, oh, but you're not as much a Christian as I am because you're not a Baptist, you're not a Mormon, you're not a... Presbyterian or whatever, and they're going to start throwing out those, you know, that particular division of Christianity's rules and enforcing them on other people. It's interesting how they start to spin this. Yeah. Uh, as And where Sanders believed he was policing bigotry in public office, others believed he was imposing a religious test. As Russell Moore, the head of the political arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, said... Even if one were to excuse Senator Sanders for not... Maybe I should do this in, in deep Southern. 
Uh, no, for not realizing that all Christians of every age have insisted that faith in Jesus Christ is the only pathway to salvation. It is inconceivable that Senator Sanders would cite religious beliefs as disqualifying an individual for public office. Well, if they're not going to be fair to all religions as public office demands, then it is disqualifying. Well, and not only that, I can't imagine that an atheist coming out with the same positions as that guy would get that guy's support uh, because, you know, that he's an atheist. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, where do those atheists get their morals from? (laughs) The oldest line in the book, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The exchange just shows how tense the political environment under Trump has become, but it's also evidence of the danger of using religion to deem someone unfit to serve government. Is it? Is it really? Because I I have to side with Sanders on this, that he's pointing out that the guy's got serious bias. Yeah. Well, And not just bias towards Christianity, but bias against Islam. Yeah. And and it was some of the most devout and most Christian of the founding fathers who pushed for the idea of separation of church and state because they were not part of the Church of England and they understood the kind of oppression that you can have under a religious government when you're not part of that particular religion. Mm -hmm. But... You know, things like this are sort of lost on people who have, you know, no inkling of history other than that Earth is 6,000 years old because the Amish Wolverine told them that. (laughs) Well, it it wasn't just the Amish Wolverine. (laughs) For those of you that are not familiar with with that particular epithet, uh, (laughs) the Amish Wolverine is uh, Ken Ham from... (laughs) From the Answers in Genesis uh, Institute, you know, I'm going to use that term loosely. Um, Very and, loosely, like and some the Ark Park girlfriends. Oh, hey now, hey now, hey now! I <laughs> I, I know nothing of their character. Um, <laughs> however, I don't even think that Eli Bosnick would lick Mister Ham. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, he'd no. be afraid he'd catch something. He'd have to get through the beard, you know, the weird beard. Anyway, so it wouldn't work. And and speaking of the Amish Wolverine, he is going to be giving a talk in Amish country in Indiana. Really? Yeah. um, I forget. It's some weird town with, you know, uh, Shamalama Ding Dong kind of name. (laughs) I mean, that's that's not a place, Tucker. That's not a place. You know, it's it's it it starts out with Shama something. Okay, Shangri-La. He's going to go to (laughs) Shangri-La. And um, it's, you know, and I'm like, I've never heard of this place. Where is it? So I Google it, and it's like the heart of Amish country in Indiana. I mean, they have other things there, but apparently what it's known for is a big cluster of Amish people. Interesting. I, in Indiana. Yeah. Well, okay. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> Why not? I I really I can't say anything about the Amish because well they 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 don't really do anything, and and actually, some of their practices where they allow the 
at least the males, to go out and kind of sow their oats and figure out if they want to maintain the lifestyle. You know, go, have fun, you know, do your thing, figure out what the world's all about, and then come back to us. Yeah, now... Um, you know, that, that that's at least an option that, that the, a lot of people are never given. It's, um, it's males and females. There's a great documentary called The Devil's Playground. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Mm, I've heard of it. Uh, but they, they, they follow a group of Amish kids, male and female, you know, when they enter Roomspringer, which is... Yeah, they that's turn, it. Like, they turn 16 or whatever. They're mm-hmm. given five years to do whatever they want. And at the end of that time, they they have the choice of either being Amish, you know, horse and buggy and all that, or joining English, a.k.a. the rest of society. Uh, and the, uh, the, the, the documentary is not overly sympathetic to the Amish in the sense that, you know, they, they – they don't portray the Amish as being, you know, oh, these wonderful pastoral people or anything like that. They they, mm-hmm. they tend to give an unvarnished view of everything. And they interview, you know, adults who were in their 30s, 40s, 50s who were Amish, as well as the young kids. And they talk about, like, one of the things that the Amish have, which, you know, most of society, at least when I was growing up, would have been appalled at the idea was the Amish have no problem with teenage kids having quote unquote overnight dates, hmm. you know? Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the kids are in their room Springer and, you know, the boyfriend has the girlfriend over to the parents' house to spend the night or vice versa. And it's like, well, yeah, we know that some of them are going to be having sex, but we're not really concerned about that. So it's uh, what happens in Rumspringer stays in Rumspringer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I mean, they're, they're, they do illustrate some of the, the the negative issues dealing with the Amish, but it it it's not. It doesn't focus overly on that, like the child abuse and things like, and the the, the rampant puppy mills. But it's also yeah. not praising them. Because oh they're they're in tune with nature and they live a simpler no no right, I mean they right, they right. show they show a lot of stuff that you you wouldn't expect like um you know one of the kids they follow his father is a cabinet maker right yeah and a they common, show the common the, profession the, yeah yeah they they show the 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 cabinet factory that the guy has and all the modern you know electric tools that the guy has it's none of this you know uh, you know hand drills you know that you crank or or stuff like that though no they've got they've got you know foul tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands dollars worth of well that's how that's how they pay for their pastoral lifestyle (laughs) (laughs) the right tool for the right job sometimes a bit and brace is just not gonna work yeah (laughs) you need that dewalt i'm telling you yeah (laughs) yeah it's true and you know they're they're allowed electricity in their places of business and work Um, right right but they have to run it off a generator power they can't get it from the electrical grid for some reason really yeah, yeah. Um, I did not know that part. Okay, I wonder. Okay. I wonder what they think of solar power. Then, 
Oh, they love it. They, um, they all have um, these little birdhouse-like things that sit outside their house. That's where they plug their smartphones into. <laughs> it's for tweeting. They've got, <laughs> they, they've got solar cells on top of these little birdhouse-looking things, and and they're allowed to use that, but they're not allowed to have it in the house for some reason. And there's a saying that says, if you see an Amish person in the field by themselves, they're talking on their phone. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Isn't it um, interesting? Like, let's go ahead and, and take that piece of string and, and tie it all the way continuously around an entire city so that they can get yeah. around that, that little restriction in their uh, in Jewish law. You know, there's yeah, all, yeah. I or, love or all these have, little exceptions and, and workarounds. Love they them. They have the Sabbath mode on the oven. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, where it's just on all the time. Yeah, that's really efficient. Yeah, great, great job, guys. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like God's gonna buy that little excuse. Yeah, you know, all knowing, but nope, you can fool him with that. No yeah. problem. Really, really, no. That's that's a funny, funny thought you guys have. Um, but you know, what, whatever helps them sleep at night, I suppose. So, yeah. um, I think that's uh, that's probably all the news that we have. I do have uh, some interesting science uh, segments. Not that. Uh, not that I really want to break off and, and do an entire other episode or anything like that. Um, apparently, sci-fi authors are banding together to write roadmaps for our future. Uh, that was out on Motherboard. Uh, pretty interesting, you know, in in how all of our sci-fi authors, you know, do we want Star Trek? I think we want Star Trek, folks. Yeah. You know, we, we want all the technology. We want the, we want the cool possible utopian ideas we want to be living in space we want to have you know we want to have all that so really i think the sci-fi authors are they've got the ideas they got the new ideas the yeah off the beaten path tracks so and then it's up to people like elon musk to actually you know make it reality yeah speaking of musk um mm-hmm. you know that he's just been that that spacex has just been contracted to launch the X-39 or whatever it's called, that weird space plane that the military has that they refuse to talk about, but they show pictures of it landing and it spends like years in orbit. Um, that they're going to launch it? Right. Prior to this, it's been launched by other rocket companies and hmm. for some reason, they've decided to give it to SpaceX for the next launch. Oh, there was, um, it wasn't Larry Page. It was another, another one of those, uh, big mogul types. Um, but they just, just rolled out like the largest plane ever. That was Paul Allen. Paul Allen. Yes. Um, Microsoft of Microsoft fame. Um, and that was apparently supposed to be like a first stage to orbit, uh, it's, platform it's, and it's still going to be that but i'm i'm wondering it's like okay so if you're going to be launching a plane you know we've done that before with the x1 right. project we've launched planes from planes before right right well this is a um well uh, musk's thing looks like a miniature version of the space shuttle um it's not his it's the government's there's yeah all they they've it's been used for at least 5 years now i think um, Paul Allen is 
basically what he did was he went to Burt Rutan of the you know Spaceship One yeah. who won the, the the X Prize and said, "Ah, uh, here's a bunch of money. Build me a big ass fucking plane where I can launch stuff with it." And well, Musk was also what, when Musk was trying to figure out how to do the whole you know Falcon Nine uh, first stage landing or, thing. He yeah. was also going to be using that plane as that first stage as as an option. Right, and then he decided against it for whatever reason. It's because he figured out the landing thing. Yeah, well... They, and also, know, they, they increased the thrust capacity of the Falcon 9 by, like, three times. Yeah, something so, about um, yeah. the 3D-printed engines would enable them to do that. Yeah, um, and it did. So Yeah. Yeah, now, Musk is a weird cat. I, I yes. haven't... I haven't quite figured him out. I would have expected him to be bankrupt and homeless by now, but he's somehow managed to avoid that. No, no. And instead, he's digging holes in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> with tunnel boring machines and things like that. That's that's probably the wackiest thing ever. But I think that it really uh, segues nicely into several of his other ideas, because I think we're going to need a a very efficient tunnel boring machine on Mars. Well, you know what his plan is to do in the next decade. Well, he's the Falcon 9 is then going to transfer into the Falcon 9 Heavy. And then there's another even larger launch platform that's going to go beyond that. And then he's working on building so many of them that basically there'll be just a constant like colonization right. train all right. the way I'm, out. I'm fairly certain he's read the article entitled A Rocket a Day Keeps the High Costs Away. But yeah. he he and Peter Diamandis, who, you know, is the guy behind the XPRIZE, yeah. uh, their goal is before 2030 to mine asteroids with robotic equipment. Right. But the problem with the, with the mining of the asteroids is that the, the idea is that only finished products would come back down. No, so, no, no, yeah, no, yeah, no. because it would be it would be ineffective to it would be, bring the, them the, back the, down. So the materials that are mined in space would stay in space as building platforms. Well, well, they have two goals. One is the finished products that they're talking about would be you know they're they're, they're stuff you know so that like when you're going to Mars, you would mm-hmm. launch with just enough to get you into orbit, and the stuff they mined at the asteroids would you would be able to refuel, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. That would be your, your ship to Mars and all that that was mined on the asteroids. But they also want to be able to deliver the mined metals to the Earth because Peter Diamandis has said he wants to crash the metals market. Okay. He, sure. Well, his his goal We're is... We're all working to, on a fiat currency anyway, so why not? Well, his, well, his goal is like... He, he officially says we want to dump enough titanium on the market so that it's essentially worthless so that people will build cars out of the stuff, thereby saving energy, becoming more fuel efficient, et cetera, et cetera. What a, uh, what a clever way. Right. Hmm. But if they're the only ones who are doing that, well, then, you know, then once, somebody's got to make some money off of it. Might as well be them. And then once <laughs> once all the car makers switch over to titanium parts, then suddenly all that titanium they're dropping out of orbit becomes very valuable. 
Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's economics. I mean, that's that's just how it, that's how it works. But it's definitely you know, it's it's like Rockefeller when you know they he move into a new territory and cut gas prices to almost nothing to drive everybody else out of business, and then yeah, it's but it's also a long term approach and and doing the upfront R and D cost and development to initiate that mining operation in the first place. That's a lot of capital investment. So really, on the back end, they might only be breaking even. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, uh, Diamandis and Musk have both said they don't want to make. They're not concerned about profits. They only want yeah. to accomplish certain things. And you got to figure. I mean, let's say SpaceX well, goes bankrupt. Well, Musk is well, kind of living that that idea already. Yeah. He's not making a whole lot of money. He's putting all of his money back into another venture. Right. Right, but if but if SpaceX goes bankrupt, either Paul Allen or Jeff Bezos is going to buy up all their intellectual property and equipment for pennies on the dollar and use that. Bezos is an interesting cat. He is uh, currently the second wealthiest man uh, behind Bill Gates, and that's scheduled to go up. And he's set aside. Uh, he's he is the sole financier to Blue Origin. Right, and right. he is devoting. One billion dollars of his own money every year to that company, right? With and the uh, with the goal of moon colonies. So his, Bezos has the moon, and Musk has Mars. Bezos' ultimate goal is to get every human being off the planet Earth. Well, not all of them. No, 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 but no, no. a sig- wants- a significant population, so that we're not. Only planet bound. No, Bezos wants everybody off the Earth, and the Earth turned into like a nature preserve. Okay, I hadn't heard that part. Yeah, yeah, interesting idea. You know, really, we don't have to get everybody off the planet to do that, though. <laughs> no, no, we don't. But that's yeah. that's what Bezos do- has talked about. And we still, we still, even if we get the the carrying capacity of the land. You know, he's he better be not just investing in uh, in his rockets. He better be investing in some serious, you know, low G, zero G hydroponics at that point. You know, because yeah. otherwise, we're what are we going to eat in space? Yeah. yeah. So, as is with uh, the the current uh, carrying capacity of the land of Earth, all of our good arable land is taken up. So if we're going to actually feed everyone, we have to have better farming methods. We have to have we have to have GMOs, folks. Yeah, um, the um, there are a number of companies that are doing um, container farming. Yes, those are f- so entertaining. Those are yeah. amazing. I love I love the the way that they're doing those, and with. Uh, honestly, with uh, with Solar City and and what. Musk is doing with just the the solar shingles and things like that. You know, I, I need to do a do a show based on the solar solar shingle project project uh, to actually figure out whether or not it really is affordable for consumers to do. Yeah, because I I'm not positive. I'm not sold on it yet. Uh, but the more that there is, again, it's all about economics. The more there is, the cheaper it ends up being because the demand drives the cost. Yeah. So, not entirely, of course. <clears throat> yeah. 
I can do that. No problem. Thanks. So, um, as Tucker goes to uh, to take care of a, a screaming kitty, uh, because things happen, I will vamp for a moment, <laughs> as he requested. Uh, it's 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 really amazing the things that are coming up with as for solar, for example, with the solar shingles and that whole project. Generating power is the the main key ingredient to everything that we have. If we want to do hydroponics and we wanted we want we also have to generate the light and the right light for plants. If you ever go in and and just just go ahead and and Google hydroponic gardening or aeroponic gardening or any of any of these ways, we can generate some really amazing yields from crops if we do it really intelligently. So we have to have some engineering behind that. We have to have power, obviously, to both run the pumps, to perhaps uh, run filters and exchangers to remove, you know, to adjust the nitrogen cycle so that we can properly um, feed the plants everything that they need. All of, all of these things, it all requires power. So either we leave them out in the sun because that is the, our natural power, or we have to then bring them inside to protect them from the, from the other elements that are out there and, and control the environment. And then we have to deliver light in another way. So how are we going to generate the power? Are we going to burn more fossil fuels to do it? Or are we going to just convert the sun into power directly and then deliver the right kind of light that the plants need? Like the, the reason that plant leaves are green is because they are reflecting green light. That's why we see green. So that is the least wavelength that they need. It's all the other wavelengths that they are absorbing. So they're absorbing red light. They're absorbing blue lights. They're, they're taking all of that in and they're using those wavelengths of the light. So if we just give them those wavelengths, they'll be perfectly happy. Not a problem. So that restricts the amount of energy that we would then need to convert from the sun into the light that we would give to the plants. So I, I have looked at this a bit, but I don't have the time to actually go through and build a whole aeroponic, hydroponic anything. But, uh, you know, as, as my preparations for the end of the world, uh, gardening and feeding myself is definitely one of them. And I was, um, speaking of that, I was discussing, well, no, I wasn't discussing at all. It was in my own head. I was thinking about it, but it was the, uh, the, the nitrogen cycle itself, as I was mentioning with, uh, with having GMOs, which would be genetically modified organisms, which is something that we really need to have, uh, you've probably heard of golden rice, things like that, where we've engineered the product only a little bit, not a whole lot, in order to have better, nutri nu better nutrition. Uh, it'll have faster growing capacity, uh, a higher yield, and... Perhaps instead of growing very tall, it won't grow very tall. It'll grow grow shorter, so it's easier to pick. And we wouldn't need to have that height because it grew that high because of the environment that it grew in 
outside and you know we we now cultivating it we don't need those traits so all that amounts to products that have a higher yield and a higher nutritional density than a lot of products that before we started meddling with them that doesn't mean that they're any different nutritionally than an heirloom variety that hasn't been meddled with that has just let nature take its course so with that we we have to have uh, a, a better control of the whole nutrition cycle because with um, with GMOs yes we're doing artificial fertilizers to fix the nitrogen to the soil so that the plants can eat it that's part of the whole deal with uh, non GMOs you know the ones that are you know grown organic and all that. Uh, with the organic stuff, they're using organic fertilizers, you know, ergo cow manure. But to be certified organic, you have to have that manure. But where is that manure coming from? It's coming from the cows. What's feeding the cows? What's feeding the cows is GMO corn and grain, which is being derived, you know, th- those are then being fixed with nitrogen from non-GMO and it, well, GMO ingredients and also sometimes fossil fuels. Yeah. So those those types of plants, they aren't doing a whole lot, and sometimes they're worse for the environment as a whole than the GMO counterpart. Well, so, and yeah, and and one of the things that they've discovered with GMO plants is you can put all these barriers in place but still you know miles away the pollen from those gmo plants ends up on non-gmo plants yeah that nature and, finds a way you know right to, to right quote malcolm and and um i i mean i have issues with certain aspects of gmo technology i you know i there's stuff about monsanto's the um roundup which you know gives me pause not necessarily that there are some people who say it causes cancer but the idea that they seem to have forgotten that well yeah okay so you can introduce a uh, you know a crop that's resistant to roundup but other crops will develop immunity mm-hmm. to it as well eventually or non crops you know weeds yeah but you know the thing people arguing against gmos don't tend to realize is that the CRISPR process is insanely cheap. It is, but it's also so new, they're not sure exactly what it's doing. They, yeah. um, uh, just recently, there was a study with, uh, with mice. Um, might have heard this on um, uh, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. They were doing, doing a study with mice, and the, um, a mouse that had, uh, had CRISPR modifications ended up with at least 1500 mutations that were unintended. Yeah, based but, on based on those gene editings. So we're we're very complex things, all of us organisms that are all related, everything that's alive including the plants, you know, we are all related. Which right, is of, right. some of us are closer to plants than others. Some some of us are closer to apes than others, some of us not so much. Uh but, but we, it costs seventy five bucks to do the CRISPR process. 
75 bucks. Oh, and that and that it's, price will probably come even further down, but right, it has to right. be used it has to be used properly because just like any tool if it's used improperly then it's more damaging than it is. Yeah, anything else. right, but but at, at a cost of 75 bucks there's no way you can block it. Oh no, no, yeah, that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, the knowledge and, is and, the knowledge is free at that point. It's yeah. it's already available. But with and, and, but with your and, container gardening, with your yeah. your container uh, farming, things like Roundup are not necessary. Exactly, because you can control the environment, and what? with and with proper solar cells, and proper LEDs, and simply knowing the way plants work, you don't have to deliver all full spectrum light as we used to. We can just deliver only the light that the plant needs. Right. Um, it doesn't there's... need green light because the plants are green. They reflect all the green light. Physics. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, there, there was, I think they're Australian. Um, there was a group of artists who created a thing called a farm fountain. A farm fountain? Right. And what it is, they have a fish tank. They filled it with tilapia because they're a freshwater fish. Sure. Um, but they use that to provide the hydroponic fertilizer for plants grown hydroponically. Yeah, it's uh, aquaponics. Well, is, right, but yeah. I mean I mean what it, you know, you've got this fish tank and then you've got the stalk sticking out of it with with all these little pods attached to it that have grow lights on them. And the water is pumped out of the fish tank because, you know, fish crap is apparently great fertilizer. I think I found it here. Let me uh See if I can go and nope, that's the wrong one. That was the wrong window. Hang on. Well, I've got a few questions about your taste in porn then. <laughs> well, they can find out though. <laughs> okay, so it looks like uh, Ken Ronaldo is doing this project. Is this the one? Uh, that that looks like it, um, based on the colors and s- stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I haven't looked at their, their their website recently, but they have. Um, yeah, they've got a couple of different variations. Like the one, one of them, they have you know, it's a uh, cattle watering trough that has tilapia in it because yeah. you know they're like you can grow all these crops using the you know the water as fertilizer, and the you can eat the tilapia if you want. Right. Yeah. And that's and that's a basic aquaponics uh, system, you know, where the uh, where the fish are the ones that are creating the uh, the nitrogen cycle. They're they're the ones that are yeah. helping fertilize everything. So yeah. they're they're removing the they're eating all the bad things that the plants don't need and providing all the good things the plants need. And you know, it's yeah. a um, it's an ecosystem. It's a small yeah. ecosystem, yeah. you know, that just yeah. delivers food. Yeah. Um. It's it's a neat idea, um, but there's uh, I forget I've seen articles on the guys that have the you know the the shipping containers that they've turned into the hydroponic farms, and mm-hmm. they're making like fourteen thousand dollars a month from one container. Of course, part of that is you know they can sell it to restaurants and places like Los Angeles is locally grown or whatever. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. So it gets a premium price, but still. They're, you know, that's definitely going to be a model. And as solar cells, which is what powers these things, 
comes down in cost, it's only going to get cheaper. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the thing to also keep in mind is that you're not only – it's not just the cost of manufacturing food. It's also the cost of transporting and storing the food. Right. And well, in harvesting, because these guys have mm-hmm. automated equipment that automatically harvests the stuff as it's ready to go. Yeah. Um, they have, there's, um, in the, some of the grocery stores, you know, the, the ones that are a little more high end than your, uh, run of the mill, they'll have these, um, heads of lettuce that are in a hard plastic case and they're, you know, they'll say they're hydroponically grown. Right. That was, those are done in a factory that was, uh, it was, it was abandoned like years ago when the guy set it up with a conveyor belt system mm-hmm. where, you know, at the start of the conveyor, the seeds are planted and at the end of the conveyor, the heads of lettuce are harvested. Yeah. It's a, it's a slow conveyor, but it works. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if it's long and, enough, you're doing it every day. Well, and and yeah. I know when I worked at Wally World in the produce department, the uh, spotlight peppers that we would get, which were, you know, you'd get a bag with uh, red, yellow, and green pe- bell peppers in it. Yeah. Most of those were hydroponically grown in the Netherlands. And the you got to think, yeah, you got to think if they can grow them hydroponically in the Netherlands, which, let's face it, they have a higher wage than we do in the U.S. for right. agricultural yeah. workers. And then they can grow them there and export them to the U.S. and sell them for dirt cheap at Wally World. Uh, that's kind of the wave of the future and having, you know, illegal farmers or illegal immigrants pick the stuff, you know, in a farm in the U.S. is going the way of the dodo sooner or later. Yeah, well... Simply that they could grow it in the Netherlands yeah, at yeah. such high quality, still pay everyone, manage to ship it over here in a just-in-time kind of fashion, yeah, and still make a profit off Walmart of all people. Yeah, yeah. That is some crazy low overhead. Oh, you... You have no idea. That was the thing that I learned when I worked at at Wally World. We would have, you know, when the, um, they're called Telzons. They're scanners, uh, handheld scanners. They look like a big old TOS version of the Star Trek phaser. Yeah. You've seen them. Um, When we scan something, we could not only pull up the retail cost, but we could pull up the cost that Walmart had. And we were selling apples that were grown in South Africa in the U.S. for the same price that U.S. grown apples were selling for, with the same profit margins. That's that's insane. crazy. Insane. Yeah. That's that's insane. I mean, and, mm. and you know, shipping costs are almost non-existent because. We would have at Halloween, they would have these, you know, these, you know, jugs that were jack-o'-lanterns that for the kids to carry around, but they were pre-filled with candy. Well, the candy was made in the U.S., shipped to China, loaded into those, you know, those jugs, 
and then shipped back to the U.S. So shipping costs are, you know, negligible. Yeah, to, and, well, you're shipping by a container. Yeah. You know, you're not shipping a piece, you're shipping tons. And yeah. when you're shipping tons, the price per piece goes down to nothing. Yeah, and you know, I, I mean... Obviously have, not nothing, but next to nothing. Yeah, well, and... and, and it's in the same zip code. <laughs> right, and, and the they've decided it's cheaper to build giant container ships which cannot go through the Panama Canal and send them around the coast to South America, yeah. even though they know... Uh, you know, they're going to lose a number of the containers and a number of the container ships due to the horrible weather that can often be found there yeah. than it is to route them through the Panama Canal. Yeah, well, there's there's a passage fee as well. Yeah. And I, I don't know what the passage fees are, but uh, it keeps Panama afloat. Yeah, well, Panama <laughs> is, has decided they need to widen the canal because they're not getting enough shipping through there. Right, especially those big ships. The yeah. Maersk shipping liners are ridiculously huge. Uh, yeah, and yeah. they're only making them bigger. They're not making them any smaller. Uh, no. I, I, I suppose that everybody has probably seen the uh, the little meme of, this is a shipping ship shipping shipping ships. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is just that, that, like, that's mind-blowing. Yeah, and I, I actually I found, a, I was so fascinated by that because big technology like that just, you know, it, it strikes a chord in me. And I've, I found the videos of how that works, and apparently those large shipping ships uh, sink themselves and gr- get underneath the other boats. Yeah. And yeah. then pump all the water out and just lift them right up. Yeah, yeah. I've, Boyle's I've seen, Law, man. Buoyancy is a crazy thing. <laughs> I've seen video of that, and it's just like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. Yeah. I love yeah, technology. Well, <laughs> well, that's how they got the uh, U.S. coal back to the states after it got blown up in Yemen. Yeah, it was they they had one of those Maersk shipping ship ships. <laughs> yes, <laughs> ship shipping ship. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you know it it sank itself slightly, went underneath it, lifted the, the you know the coal up and brought it back to the States to be rebuilt. Yep, and that was after the Mythbusters filled it with ping pong balls. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's it's and you know, I mean the the thing that gets me is like the container, you know, when they they ship cars over in those containers and things like that. Yeah. And it doesn't add appreciable amount to the cost of vehicles, even though they know that, you know, dozens of them are going to be swept over the side and yeah. sink to the bottom of the ocean. It occasionally happens. Yeah. 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 It's it's a big, wide ocean, and there is there is a lot of garbage out there. Uh, yeah. But at least those go down to the bottom, I guess. In so, theory. Yeah. I, yeah, it's definitely theory. It's hard to say exactly where some of these, uh, you know, wash up. I mean, those are the stories of, like, um, a Lego container that got washed over, and that they were getting, you know, just every day there would just be another 100,000 pieces of Legos just washed up on the shore. <laughs> well, there was, a, there was a, um, a, a college professor in, like, Oregon 
who was going after rubber duckies because they, there was a container of yes. rubber duckies that fell over. And he was using that information to be able to figure out the ocean currents. Yeah, it was an amazing thing. And you yeah. know what? That is a perfect segue, actually, because there was another uh, a story that I, that I wanted to bring up. And it's, um, it's the Fukushima so how Fukushima's, you know, radiation, you know, was leaking out into the ocean and going everywhere. You know, we, we all probably saw the, uh, saw the infographic. In fact, it looked an awful lot like this as I show it on the screen. And, uh, well, it's not the radiation. Not at all. And Snopes, they did a good job. Okay. And so it's a chart purportedly showing radioactive water seeping into the ocean from the Fukushima nuclear plant actually depicts something entirely different. Uh, it is, let's see, what is it? Uh, it's wave height from the, the earthquake that caused the tsunamis that caused the Fukushima disaster in the first place. Yeah. Um, so it's the wave height across the ocean that's affecting everything else. That's what that icon, this one here, is actually showing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a um, a great Der Spiegel article that's from about 10 years ago where they're talking about, you know, the dangers of radiation. And they're like, we pretty much have wildly overestimated the hazards of radiation. And, you know, they document, well, these are the number of confirmed cases of people who died due to radiation from, the, you know, the bombings at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, yeah. from, you know, uh, the, the Chernobyl meltdown, as well as a couple of other disasters, yeah, nuclear yeah. disasters in the Soviet Union that we never heard about. Right. Three and, Mile Island over here, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's like uh, the... Um, the odds of you actually dying from radiation are from something like Fukushima or whatever, or even having a slightly higher risk of cancer are vanishingly small. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you're like that guy who was working on the Manhattan Project when shit went wrong and he grabbed the plutonium core with his bare hand, <laughs> you know. You're going to have a bad time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, but, but the number of people that yeah. this happens to is remotely small. I, um, there was, a, there were a number of people who were at, and I mean, you want to talk about having a shitty day? They were at Hiroshima and Nagasaki when the bombs went off. I mean, they, they, they managed they, to be at both places. Yes. Yes. Oh, and, that's bad luck. That's very bad luck. And and they all oh you know, uh, they they the, at least the ones I know of they all lived you know to seventies or greater. There was um there's a great radio lab podcast about the one guy who's officially recognized by the government of Japan as being at both places, and so he got you know extra government benefits because of this. But he's not the only one. Hmm. He was an engineer at Mitsubishi in Hiroshima. Or was it – they bombed Hiroshima first and then Nagasaki, if I'm not mistaken. I believe you're correct, yeah. And he was like originally from Nagasaki and he was just happened to be visiting Hiroshima on the day when the first bomb 
was dropped. And then he went home. And, and well, he got, you know, he got really messed up from the first bomb. And he's like, I've got to go home and see about my family. He goes home and he goes to work because, you know, he's a dedicated employee. And he's explaining to his bosses at Mitsubishi what happened to him at Hiroshima. And they're like, no, there is no bomb that could be like this. This is crazy. And, and then <laughs> they could see the bomb falling oh, outside the window. Oh and my he's God. like, this is really a bad sign, guys. And then, you know, boom. Wow. Blah, blah. And But he wow. lived, you know, I mean, he did have some health problems that are probably attributable to <laughs> you know, being yeah. nuked twice. Not to mention the like, therapy that he'd have to go through because obviously America was chasing him. Yeah, but, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> but, but you know, it's still, you know, um, well, if you live in a country that yeah. has socialized medicine and you don't have to worry about health care because it's not a huge deal, but I mean, still, he was, you know, he lived did, to be in his ja- late 90s. But wait, did, did Japan have socialized medicine in in the 40s? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they pretty much did. And after the forties, <laughs> as a matter of fact, um, uh, one of the brilliant minds in the UK who was responsible for a lot of neat stuff that the British did during the war, his goal after the war was to develop social, you know, was to promote socialized medicine in the UK. Yeah. Um, God, what the Jeffrey Pike. Have you ever heard of him? Mm, no, but I do have this Google machine in front of me. Yeah. Um, he created Pikecrete, amongst many other things. Oh, I know Pikecrete. Okay. That's oh, the guy? He's a really fascinating dude. He was a... Um, okay. He, 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 he had a weirdly storied career. The craziest thing about him amongst many other crazy things about him was in at the start of world war one, he um, got a, uh, a newspaper in England to, you know, pay for him to be a reporter and go to Germany. He okay. was captured and was made a POW because the Germans somehow believe that a British reporter was actually a snitch for the British government. Sure. I, I don't know why sure, you include sure. that. No. And he escaped from the POW camp wearing pajamas, a pair of rubber um, rain boots, and a trench coat. And for the rest of his life, that's what he went around in. What? Really? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. You lost me. What? <laughs> I know. It's. I, I, I swear. I think that's where Douglas Adams got his idea for for Arthur Dent going around in the bathrobe and the pajamas in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But the dude, he was obviously somewhere on the autism spectrum. Well, apparently. Uh, okay, so you know the Princess Bride. Where the Dread Pirate Roberts would would say, you know, good work, Wesley, you know, I'll most likely kill you in the morning. Apparently, that's what his guards told him. 
You know, it, it, a, after it, just six days in Germany, Pike was arrested in his in his bed sitting room. He was taken away, leaving a highly incriminating letter written in English on his desk. His guards told him, "Probably you'll be shot in the morning." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but he. Um, he, you know, he did Pycrete. He did a bunch of other things. Um, I, I've read about him, and there was a great um, BBC radio production called Habakkuk of Ice, which is no longer available through official channels. So you'll have to, you know, if you want to hear you'll, it, you'll, you'll have, have to, to do some digging. We're yeah, not going to uh, tell you where to dig, only that you'll need to get a big shovel. Yeah. Um, that, which is, you know, it's a somewhat fictionalized account, but all the details match up from everything that I've been able to find. Uh, but he was, you know, he was just a wild cat and, um, he developed this thing that was called the weasel. Uh, and there's been, it was never used really that much during world war two, but there's variations of it that have been used later on. It was basically a snowmobile, but instead of, you know, a track and skis, it had this corkscrew. Hmm. Okay. Um, that would shoot through the snow and, and propel it along. Uh, interesting. What the corkscrew, I'm not, okay. I'd, I'd have to, I think I have to see a diagram of that one. That's, Hmm. Well, an Archimedes screw type. Okay, thing yeah. For propulsion, if you, um, God, uh, yeah, it's not a very good, not very good for propulsion though. It's... <laughs> well, on snow, it's great. Um, Studebaker built mm-hmm. some prototypes for the U.S. military for the Korean War, um, it, and they called it. It was like the M something or other, like M six one or M one eight one weasel is what they called it, rather than, um. Pike's term for it. It's like the M eighty one weasel, I think, was the name of it. Um, but anyway, okay, yeah, I, I, I think I've, I found uh, some YouTube guy. He was turning in, you know, he's kind of doing like Archimedes screws on pontoons. For, yeah, for yeah. Like well, running across uh, all-terrain vehicle, you know, something yeah. or other. Um, it didn't work and, very good on mud, but I could imagine it working very well on ice. Um. And I'm sure you're very familiar with Thomas Dolby's She Blinded Me With Science video. Well, yes, of course. Okay, the old <laughs> guy who's in the, in the video going, science! Science! Yeah. That's Jeffrey Pike's nephew. Really? Well, that's interesting. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, but, but if you can find that Habakkuk of Ice BBC program, it's well worth listening to. Huh. Okay, I'm I'm still looking for the whole um, thing with the the pajamas and the rubber boots thing because that's just like, wait, what is that about? I don't even understand. <laughs> well, that's what he was wearing when he escaped from the POW camp, and so apparently he decided, you know, this wow. is all anybody ever needs. Ooh, and, and and like. If I'm not mistaken, the first, he escaped from a POW camp, made his way back to England and said, uh, I've got to go back to Germany. And they said, OK. And he went back. And then that's when he escaped wearing the pajamas, the trench coat and the, <sighs> the, the collages. OK, that's an interesting guy. So 
everyone at home, your uh, your homework is to research Jeffrey Pike, and that's G E O F F R E Y P Y K E. So, and if you do if you do the J the Jeffrey with a J and P I K E, you get uh, you get some singer that uh, that did bad things. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a, a a really quirky history podcast called The Futility Closet, which has an episode about him. It sounds like my storage methods. Um, if you're not familiar with Futility Closet, uh, that's a that's a good podcast to check out. Okay, it, it's a husband and wife team. They live in I think North Carolina. Um, and the guy does, they, they do all this weird, you know, just the weird obscure bits of history that aren't, there's enough to make you go, what the fuck was that about? But there's not enough that somebody could actually write, let, you know, dig into it and get the full story because it's been lost or was never recorded. Hmm. Um, but yeah, he did a thing. He did an episode on Jeffrey Pike. He did an episode of this cat that was, um, you know, hung out on the Matterhorn, and and people would carry it up to the peak and back down, and all these other things. Uh, just and there was uh, like another episode. There's this body that washed up, or that people found on a beach in Australia in either during World War II or just after, and nobody knows who the hell the guy was, how he died, or anything like that. He was just, like, hanging, you know, people thought he was just, like, hanging out on the beach in his suit, smoking a cigarette, and somebody went up to him to, like, get a light or something, and Mm -hmm. dude was dead, and they called the cops, and... You know, they're like, uh, we don't know who he is. We have no idea whether he's in, you know, Australian or not. He's got stuff that indicates he's an American. He may, maybe he was killed by Russian spies. Um, they, if if the X Files focused on real things, it would be this podcast. Okay, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, as I was continuing, I I fell into a Wikipedia hole. Because uh, that's what happens when when you yeah, look yeah. at things, and um, one of the things that uh, that Jeffrey Pike was uh, rather famous for was Project Habakkuk, yes, which was a Pikecrete based and and Pikecrete is it's frozen concoction, sawdust. yeah, it's, it's essentially sawdust or paper or, or cellulose of some type. Um, but it's frozen, very hard. You know, you can you can research it a little bit and, and watch a MythBusters episode on when they made a Pikecrete ship. But that's where the myth came from because he was involved in this project, Habakkuk, and it was a aircraft carrier, an right. enormous aircraft carrier, frozen Pikecrete hull with. Coolant lines running through the pike crate and everything to keep it cold and just like madness, absolute madness. But and the British were doing it; <laughs> they were working on it. Well, well, you know how how they that happened was um, Winston Churchill was taking a bath 
and uh, one of his advisors came to Churchill's place and says, I need to speak to the prime minister. And they're like, well, he's taking a bath and he's going, perfect. So he had a frozen lump of pikery. And he ran in there and dumped it in Churchill's bath and says, this is what we need to be building aircraft carriers out of. It's based on ice. And Churchill's looking at it going, but it's not melting. Uh (laughs) And the guy's like, that's the point. And when they um, they had uh, a meeting with like the heads of the Ministry of Defense and (laughs) – a guy set a block of it on the table, shot it with a gun. Yeah. The bullet ricocheted off the pike creek <laughs> and, and hit the ankle of one of the people there. Oh, geez. And, and, you know, I mean, the guy had to be treated for a bullet wound in his ankle, and they're all like, yeah, we probably ought to look into this shit. Yeah, uh, apparently uh, they. I'm finding some, like, some really interesting uh, graphics on on this project here. Let yeah. me uh, pull up this one here. Um, <clears throat> and this is a cross section. And what they wanted to do was a, basically a box, a hollow box of pikecrete with a big flight deck on top and everything and storage and hangers and everything underneath. But the hull itself is 40 feet thick of pikecrete. 40 feet thick yeah. of pikecrete. That thing that they shot a gun at that just ricocheted off, yeah, that's what they were going to build it out of. Uh, that's impressive. That's yeah. really an impressive idea. Uh, so I could see why that they might actually think about it. Of course, now we've, you know, we're dealing with permafrost that is no longer permanent. So we're, oh, we're in a oh, we're in a yeah. changing we're in a changing world. <laughs> yeah, you heard about the uh, the 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 vault flooding. I, I did. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, the like, seed vault in Norway. Yeah. Yeah, the doomsday vault, which they put in Norway on a remote island because they're like, this well, shit'll never melt. Well, it's not. <laughs> it's not a doomsday vault. It's just another seed vault. Um, which is it's interesting because you know if in case any environmental it's more like a uh, a library repository for seeds right right so right. not not to you know yes it was it was labeled the doomsday seed vault and all that but no there's there's plenty of them around you know the United States has a couple you know there's several all around the the globe um and Syria because of their conflicts has actually had to check out seeds yeah yeah the only country in the world that that's had to do it so far, uh, so I, I found that very uh, very interesting and and kind of terrifying all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's uh, it's well, Syria. They checked out seeds. They 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 did a swap. They pulled out certain seeds and put other seeds back in. And I don't know the details as to you know what kinds of plants. They pulled out what types they pulled they put back in, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, cushion against you know bad shit happening. So yeah, it and makes it was never supposed to flood because nobody ever thought that would ever happen. Well, and there's <laughs> they do have pumps because they do expect some some to to uh, thaw out, but it was the the stuff that was labeled as permafrost that's what was melting 
And yeah. you know, we've we've also had uh, we've had a bit of a history of this now. You know, since every year for the last several years has been the hottest year on record, over year yeah. over year. Yeah. Uh, there was the the anthrax reindeers that thawed out. Yeah. In Russia, yeah. Uh, you know, they they were just they were frozen. They were locked. They a big big die off right there. They all just died right yeah frozen right where they stood. And uh, yeah, they they thawed out and. Some very old anthrax just came right back to life and was causing some all sorts of havoc. Well, and it's not just anthrax. There's other diseases that, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're yeah. starting to find that, oh, wait, these things have survived and tens we of thousands don't know of years. anything about them. Yeah, tens of thousands of years. Thousands like really, like, you know, obviously I'm, I'm using my hands, which I shouldn't bother to do yeah. when I'm talking about viruses, which are still microscopic, even though they're really big. <laughs> you know, yeah. for for a virus, it's huge, but yeah. still, it's still small. <laughs> very, very small. Yeah. Well, the, there was uh, uh, NASA just found some kind of bacteria that uh, in caves in Mexico that's like 60,000 years old. Yeah, like, yeah. We've seen this movie. It doesn't end well. It doesn't me. end well. It's like <laughs> this is this is why we have the scientists writing a, a, a path for us. You see, that's the that's the thing. Not yeah. the scientists, but the uh, the uh, uh, science fiction writers. That's why yeah. we have them. Well, well, you know, I, I it hit me the other day that the best way to describe the Trump presidency is a 1950s horror movie. Yeah, or science fiction movie. You know, you have either scientists or teenagers who, at the very beginning of the film, figure out bad shit's happening, and it's this thing nobody believes them yeah. until a whole lot of people die, and then everybody says, "Hey, you're right. We need to do something about this." Oops. Yep. Yeah. That's, why didn't you listen? Don't go in yeah. there. That's where they're going to kill you. Yeah. 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 That's. Yeah, that, that that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Well, those who do not learn from history, they're the ones that are doomed to relive it, to, and, to, to make the same mistakes again. Those of us that do learn from history are doomed to watch them do it again yes. <laughs> and to suffer through it with them. Yes. It's just going to happen again, but, you know, some of us are going to have seen it coming a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Tucker. Well, I think that we've uh, we've exhausted ourselves. Uh, certainly not the news because there's plenty of it. But uh, oh, I I think that uh, we can we can call it a night, and I will be on your show and and we'll uh, what what do I have to look forward to? You have um, at least the end of the apocryphal book. The Wisdom of Jesus, Son of Sirach. Um, that sounds which, like a page turner. Uh, you have no idea. <laughs> the, 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 the fun thing is, is that they, uh, the, the book, which uh, in theory was written before Jesus that the Christians know, not mm-hmm. this Jesus, Son of Sirach, who nobody knows who the fuck he is, um, you know, the theory is it was written before the Christian Jesus, but it reads an awful lot like something that would have been written after the Christian Jesus if you were trying to, you know, predate him. Sort of like, you know, how the Book of Mormon 
is written in the 1800s, but claims to have been written, you know, starting in 600 BC thereabouts. Right, um, but in like 1400s English. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, the fun thing is, is that it's awfully misogynistic, yet uh, it treats wisdom and knowledge as female personifications of certain virtues. Well, no wonder they're bad. Yeah, yeah, but but it praises them. There's there's all kinds mm. of unintended sexual puns. So that you have that to look forward. Well, to. this is a this wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And where would we find your podcast? The one that I'm going to be on. Um. Well, you pretty much just Google the Atheist in the Trailer Park podcast, and you'll find it. Uh, it's on. Um, Stitcher, it's on iTunes, you know, your usual podcast hangouts. Um, and on the, the weeks when I'm not reading from the Apocrypha, my usual co-host is America Curl, who is a queer African-American woman who lives in Arizona who has a slightly different perspective on things than I do even if we do agree on a lot of things. She does have a lot of different perspectives on things. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes. Um, she is She is a very brilliant and welcome addition to the podcast. I, she, does I, have, she does have a great voice and, and, uh, and lots of good, solid opinions on things. Yes, yes. And um, she's usually responsible for the show titles because she'll just – pull something out of her ass and it's like <laughs> that's the best possible title anybody could have for an episode on this subject so that's what we're using perfect perfect i'm looking forward to it and everyone you can uh, i will of course uh, cross promote cross promote cross promote as yes. soon as it's out i will uh, i'll drop that link into my feed here so you guys can can uh, enjoy the apocrypha with us Yes, I, I look forward to having you on. I want to hear your perspective on the bad shittery. Oh, it should be a lot of fun. It should be a lot of fun. Alrighty, folks, and let's see here. I guess I need to find some uh, credit music and maybe like my show notes. There we go. Okay, and here we go. If you've enjoyed what we've done here and you'd like to help us out here at O'Reilly Radio, you can donate to the show through patreon.com slash O'Reilly Radio and get early access to show content. That's when I'm not working 40, 50, 60 hours a week and actually have some time to do things that are fun. Um, also, you can make the algorithms work for us by reviewing us on iTunes to boost our ranking. That would help a, a whole lot. And also, it, it warms the cockles of my heart. Uh, you could use your words and tell someone about us. That's always helpful. And of course, engage with us directly. Send us a message on the social medias or the electronic mails at O'Reilly Radio Podcast at gmail.com. Or if you're more talkative sort there's 470-222-O-R-L-Y that's 6759 always ready to take your call or your text and if you don't like what we've done here this evening you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 available 24 hours a day 7 days a week the lifeline provides free and confidential support for people in distress prevention and crisis resources for you or your loved ones and best practices for professionals thank you for choosing to waste your valuable time on us. This has been O'Reilly Radio, part of the Random Acts Company. This work is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 United States license, including the music Rocket and Pemgea, created by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com. Thank you very much, Tucker, and we'll see you all next week. Toodles! <laughs> Toodles!
And that's that. That's the show. Yeah. <laughs>